0: Okay, in that case, let's get into it. Lord, I thank you right now that your word is a two-edged sword. It cuts away the things that hold us back, but it also cuts into our understanding, brings pain to our life so that we can understand the direction we should be going as opposed to the direction we are going. We thank you that you exercise your grace in redirecting us. In Jesus' name. Amen. (laughs) I'm a bit foofy this morning. (laughs) I shall try and talk out of this side of my mouth. Vicky hates it when I do that. She says, stop talking out the corner of your mouth. You look like a silly person. (laughs) We're carrying on this week about... What we started last week, the second commandment. Who knows, we n- we're nearly at the end. If this is the second commandment, it means there's one left. Number one. And it's interesting that as we started this series of commandments, we started with number 10, which was fairly relaxing. You know, you don't covet your neighbour's goods. Yeah, we, I can do that. In fact, I, I don't really ever bother about what my neighbour's got, so I'm, I'm pretty good. If these ten commandments are going to be like this, I am a shoe in and then it got to ni- nine and then eight and seven. I don't know whether you noticed, but they sort of got a bit meatier as we got into it. That you know, Some of them weren't quite as clear-cut and simple as we'd like. And Sometimes we found that we were actually full of it when it came to fulfilling these commandments. It's a bit like um, you know, the, the American Capitalist Society where the public has bought your bull. But God hasn't, and so we get to number two, and it sounded pretty simple: don't don't worship idols. So you know you get rid of that ugly old thing that on the mantelpiece that you bought from Thailand or or somewhere like that, and it's the only idol I've got in the house. I, I don't worship idols, and it seemed fairly simple, but it's not, and so we're going to continue with a different take on the second commandment, because it appears in more than one place. Remember last week we looked at it in Exodus. It also appears in Leviticus 26 verse 1. And it says, Do not make idols or set up carved images or sacred pillars or sculptured stones in your land so you may worship them. I am the Lord your God. You must keep my Sabbath day of rest and show reverence for my sanctuary. I am the Lord fairly clear statement wouldn't you say so last week we looked at the modern equivalent of carved idols and how we can be drawn to worship them and we looked at how God treats this relationship that he has with us like a marriage and that idolatry equates to adultery in God's eyes because he regards his relationship with us as sacred and we discovered that idols come in many different forms not just Australian Idol. There was career, money, sport, possessions, technology even. And the obvious one, of course, sex. So we're going to talk about that a lot this morning because it's my favourite topic. (laughs) Actually, one of those two statements was a lie. We're not going to talk about it this morning. (laughs) But idolatry occurs when we hold any value, idea or activity higher than God. And if we're honest, we're all idol worshippers to some degree. And often it's unwitting because our society accepts idolatry as a norm. In fact, we celebrate it a lot of the time because we lift things in our lives, in our society higher than anything, other, anything else, often just in a, way, in a desire to get television ratings. The media puts idols into our life that are really hard to ignore. And it's not just about the media. The media advertises things. You know, sport can be an idol. You know, there are people who have seasons tickets to football games, that they would go to in preference to come into church on Sunday. Now, you might think, well, that happens. I mean, you know, you, can't, you, can't, you don't want to be in church every Sunday. That's getting legalistic. Yeah, you're right. I don't expect people to be in church every Sunday. But you see, when it comes to determining whether you're idolatrous or not, it's the, this whole idea, you know, you know, in science, what used to irritate me was that there are rules about science. And I remember um, a particular one in in chemistry, in year 11, I discovered that there's a ratio of how electrons go around a nucleus. They go around in things called shells, which I thought was a really weird name. But there's always two in the first one, and then there's four, and when you get another one, that four becomes eight, and then it goes eight, and eight, and sixteen. And there's this order, and I thought this was fabulous. Until my chemistry teacher, at the end of learning all of this, and said, next year, you will discover why all of that is wrong. I thought, what do you mean? And so next year, he taught us, and there are exceptions to the rule. And if you look through science anywhere, there's always an exception to the rule. In fact, there's that saying, it's the exception that proves the rule. And when it comes to idolatry, I think that's what we need to look at. What's the rule? If you put God up there and you manage to fulfill that requirement four times out of five, I'd say that's pretty much a rule. And if every so often things call you away, well, that's life. But if the rule is the opposite, you worship idols four times out of five and then give God, you know, at least I come once, once a month. He should be happy with that. I'm sorry. The rule is you're an idolater. I'm really quiet in here. <laughs> so last, last week, we looked at the basic truth that we all practice idolatry in one way or another. And if we're honest about it, we really don't care. So we need to do something about it. And the first question is, are we willing to confront our idolatry? Because when it's part of our lives and ingrained in our lives so, so deeply, it's really hard to extricate yourself something like that because you sort of think what will people say? Who am I letting down? People don't know that I'm a Christian. If I do things like that people will find out. So they should. We're not a secret society. We don't even have a secret handshake. <laughs> like Brendan and I have been working on that. The second thing is how do we confront our idolatry? Because do you know what? really sucks about idolatry? At the heart of every idol we worship is something really, really good, almost every time. There's nothing wrong with a career. There's nothing wrong with being excited about sports. There's nothing wrong with technology. uh, It's great for preaching from. It's great for making phone calls with. But, you know, some people use it as trolls. Some people use it to defraud other people. I mean, I, I, got a, I got an invoice from iTunes the other day for something I hadn't ordered. I'm thinking, what's going on here? Who's got access to my account? But I, I checked and I noticed that it wasn't actually addressed specifically to me. And when I hovered over the complain button, it didn't take me back to Apple at all. It was going to take me somewhere else. And so I deleted it. But it is very easy to get caught up in these things. And especially if technology becomes your idol. So if we reject what we've started to worship as an idol, often we throw the good away with the bad. You know, when we reject what is good for us just because somebody else has abused it, that's what gives Christianity a bad name. We appear miserable, judgmental. We're always against something. And it's like having a, compa- a campaign. You know, what should we be against this month? What should we protest against? What don't we like about the world that we can make a fuss about? And people get into that mode of thinking where just because we know that something has been abused we want to reject the whole thing out of hand it's much safer that way. Sex is bad, nobody's allowed to have it. Are you all with me? (laughs) (laughs) And yet in the past that's the sort of thinking that has been propagated through the Christian church. Sex is bad. I mean, in the Victorian era, era, it went so far as the fact that they used to cover, cover pianos with cloths so that people couldn't see their legs in case a piano leg turned you on. <laughs> well, at least Jared won't be googling any pianos for the last next couple of weeks. But... It's not a question of rejecting everything that tempts us in life, that gives us the, the possibility that we might elevate it above our worship for God. And I know, you know one of the things I've used as an example is church attendance. And for many years we, we, we had this opinion that, Worshipping God didn't necessarily equate coming to church because, you know, we could worship God in private and going to church is sort of an optional thing to get, to, to get together with people. But in reading the Bible, it doesn't say that. See, Christianity is not a solo faith. Christianity only works when we do it together. We are a force, we're an army. You know, if you're, if you're going to send an army into battle against another army you don't pick a private and say well t- go and see what it's going to be like as soon as he sticks his head out you know he's going to get it blown off but if you I'm sorry to use graphic <laughs> illustrations there but if you come, rise as an army together people can see that you're a force to be reckoned with and think twice about attacking Christianity is the same it only keeps us safe because we're accountable to one another but it also is part of god's plan to actually show people that we're a community that people can be a part of not just individuals because individuals can have some pretty strange ideas once they get out of community so how are we going to attack this whole idolatry thing how are we going to have a career that we're really passionate about but not let it get to that level of idolatry how are, we, how are we going to do sport on the weekend without allowing it to interfere with our worship of God? How are we going to have sex? And I'm not going to get into that this morning. Without making it an idol in our life. How are we going to have possessions? Because who, who likes possessions? How are, we going to, how are we going to have possessions without letting them control us to the point where God becomes second? Possessions become first and technology. Yeah, how often do we need the latest and the greatest? I mean, this is, I think this is only an iPad 3. Yeah, I mean, they've just released the new iPad Air. Oh, Air 2. Oh, good grief. And, and it's, do you know why it's better than this? It's so much lighter. And I, and I want one because this is just weighing me down. And, you know, the screen's probably got more pixels in it. Why eyesight's so bad? I can't see a pixel no matter how many there are on the screen. So ha- how do we actually still enjoy those things? How do we actually still involve ourselves in real life without those things becoming an idol? I've got an idea called planting the flag it's not capturing the flag it's planting the flag it's interesting in the early days of christianity when the christian faith started to spread into pagan countries the first thing that they did when they established a place of worship was to establish it on the site of the old pagan temples you still think why would they do that because it was already cleared, you know, there was a hall for hire. Now, Like this hall. This hall was once a Druid's hall. It's also been a Salvation Army hall. But does that affect the fact that we're now worshipping God in this hall because some Druids worshipped whatever Druids worshipped some hundred years ago? Does it matter that when Christians moved into pagan temples and said, well, we're going to worship God here, Pagan gods had been worshipped before that. Yes, it does matter. In fact, it's very important because it's important for us to go to places where God isn't worshipped and plant the flag and say, idols were worshipped here, but my God is above those idols. My God is worshipable anywhere. I don't care what's happened beforehand. I can walk into a situation, plant the flag and say, it's okay, God's here. I'm worshipping God no matter what has happened in the past. I am doing things for God no matter what people think should have happened with their gods. And all over the world, pagan sites were taken over by Christians. And a lot of people say, well, it diluted Christianity. People, you know, Christmas is just a pagan ritual turned around to, to suit Christians. You know, Easter's done on the, you know, on the full moon of the whatever it is, because that's the way the pagans did it. So the Christians are just copycats. No, strangely enough, we're a bit smarter than that. But we know that if there are idols, we can't just say, no, that's bad, that's good. We have to walk in and say, I'm here with the power of God. I'm going to change the situation in this place because the presence of God makes that possible. You know what the problem with that is? It's hard to do. It's so much easier to say, well, this is right, and this is wrong, so don't do that, do that and keep the world and God at arm's length and try and be, as Vicky put it earlier, perfect. He's ever had a go at that? He's ever been successful? <laughs> Apart from Nathan. <laughs> but even he would admit it wasn't for very long. <laughs> so we need to plant God's flag in hostile soil. If you have a career that you're interested in, that you want to actually continue, that you don't want, it isn't just a way of getting money, you, you, you love what you do and you want to get ahead because you can see that your skills are being used, that you've got visions for what you want to do, your future's exciting, the pay scale just goes that which is exciting as well. I mean, who wouldn't want a career like that? How do you maintain that? without putting that and your ambition above God, what you do is you take God into your career. Oh, I can't... We've got workplace policies that say you're not allowed to mention God. Well, I didn't say you had to go in wearing a crucifix on a chain and, you know, like John the Baptist with a loincloth and honey all over it and, and a wild beard. <laughs> Apart from Jordan... This is one of the best bearded ladies I've ever seen. <laughs> it's a question of going in knowing what your priorities are and standing for them against all opposition. Because there will be. People will come and say, well, why can't you do this? This is what I believe. And we have a choice to make. Does our career dictate who we are or does God dictate who we are? Do we trust that if we follow our boss... our our advisor, our mentor in our career, does he know more than God about our life or she? Or are we prepared to trust God and say, well, it looks as though this is the way I should go, but it's not the way God would have it. Do I trust God or am I going to trust the world? Because if you trust the world, it turns into this little carved idol in your hand and you worship it. Same with almost anything else you can name. Money, possessions. It's great to have them, but can you have them with a godly heart? Are you prepared to take God's standard, God's flag, and say, well, this is how I, where I stand. This is how I use technology. This is how I think of it. Open handed is how we should think of it. Do you know I can preach without this? What? There's this stuff called paper, which was invented a long time ago, <laughs> which is a bit like a primitive iPad actually, some to- and sometimes it's thinner. I mean, look at this. Thinner's thinner and lighter than an iPad. Now, it doesn't hold as much. You get too many of these and it gets a bit thicker than an iPad. But some of the th- sometimes it's easy to find things. Not as many pixels. but We've got to be open-handed about what we have because it's a question of who's our provider? God. He's above any idol that we can have. Where do we find our worth? See, careers are dangerous that way. Because often, we can find our worth in what we do. I mean, I'm struggling with it now. Because I'm what's known as bivocational. Which means that I'm capable of doing two things at once. Not. And it's Apart from pastoring a church, the other job I do, strangely enough, I really enjoy. And I can see that God has plans for me to give that up. Now, strangely enough, I'm not happy about that. Because to some degree, I have to admit, I I find my worth in the skills that I've developed and grown in to actually do that job. And for God to say, well, no, I don't, I don't need you to have those anymore, it's like insulting. What do you mean? You've, you've had me spend half a lifetime accumulating these things and you want me to throw them away? Who do you think you are? <laughs> oh, that's right. Who do you think's in control here? Um, whose strength are we working in? Um, and God doesn't actually have to say, get back in your box that's what he means he said hang on who, who's who's God here and it it's not easy even admitting it The trouble is now I've admitted it in public so all of these people are holding me accountable I knew I shouldn't have mentioned that sport possession technology they all pretty much come under the same banner do we substitute activity for God? Are we buying things? Are we playing sport? Are we, are we using computers? Are, are we immersed in our culture to the degree that we've forgotten God? Do we, we realize, do we acknowledge that those things make us happy and we're prepared to do those because we don't think God can make us any happier? You know, what can you buy that makes you a better human being? The Bible, very good. Chocky frog for that answer. <laughs> but you have to buy that yourself. Who are you keeping up with who's got your interests more at heart than God? See, the Joneses actually don't care. You might want to keep up with them, but they're not interested in you keeping up. They want to stay ahead. And the Smiths and the Devonports... Just threw that one out there. (laughs) I mean, the same thing comes with sensuality. I mean, we are bombarded with it on television, in movies, on the internet, even on Facebook. Selfies that are questionable. Do you worship pleasure? Are you more interested in actually having a fun life in living in the moment. That's a, that's a really current theme at the moment. Oh, I just want to live in the moment. The moment is so fleeting. Moments go just like that. If you don't plan for the future, your moments are actually going to turn out to be pretty miserable. I mean, society defines people these days by their sexuality. It's like we're a set of gonads with a few other body parts attached. I mean, that, that's that's how we're described. People don't people don't ask you about things. You know, often the first question is, you know, what's what's your sexual preference? It's like, hang on, excuse me, what's your name again? You know, what's... side? You know, there are questions which attend people used to attempt to define us, which are only a small part of who we really are. And yet they're brought to the front and and enlarged. I mean, I don't know whether you've ever done any history research into Japanese erotic paintings. I I, I should hope not and don't. Well, actually you could because I don't think they're particularly erotic. Um, But the interesting thing is that Japanese artists drew things in proportion to their importance. And so their pictures are are skewed into the realm of, you know, if this is what we're talking about, let's make it big so that we know what the painting's about. And they actually, frankly, look quite ridiculous. But the trouble is that, yes, mm, (laughs) that our, our society has gone the same way. We inflate in our minds and in our eyesight and all sorts of things that the things that media want us to think are important. You realise that by doing that, they can actually control how you act because we're controlled by our impulses. Men, particularly, are controlled by their vision. You know, they did studies on men's and women's eyesight. And it's interesting that a a man can see a leaf twitch a hundred meters away because he's got a hunter's instinct. But a woman can see a baby crawling out of a cot behind her (laughs) because a woman's peripheral vision is amazing. Whereas they can crawl into the fire and scream before a man will turn around and say, what was that? You know that old saying about that mothers grow up with children in their house and fathers grow up with the realisation that there are small things somewhere around (laughs) in their life. But we need to make sure that we're not defining ourselves because of the way the world wants us to look at ourselves and others. Because if we do that we fall into the trap of idolatry. See, the worst thing about idolatry is that it cheats and destroys the idolater. And that's the person worshipping the idol. The whole basis of idolatry a is a lie. We take things that are not God and pretend they are. Can you see that that's never going to work? I'm going to pretend that this thing I'm worshipping is God. The people who worship idols become like the idols. Isaiah 44 verse 9 says, How foolish are those who manufacture idols. These prized objects are really worthless. The people who worship idols don't know this. So they are all put to shame. It's very hard to argue with that. Idols promise the world but can't deliver because the world isn't theirs. Psalm 115, I think, covers it very nicely in verse 3 it says our God is in the heavens and he does as he wishes their idols are merely things of silver and gold shaped by human hands they have mouths but cannot speak and eyes but cannot see they have ears but cannot hear and noses but cannot smell they have hands but cannot feel and feet but cannot walk and throats but cannot make a sound And those who make idols are just like them, as are all those who trust in them. The psalmist is making the point that the idols of men and women are not real, because they're not living and they're not lasting. If you're in trouble, they're useless. They have feet, but they can't come to you. They have hands, but they can't lift a finger to help you. They have eyes, but they don't see what's going on in your life. They have ears, but they don't hear your cries when you're lonely, helpless, or in despair. They're useless. And he goes on to say that what you worship, you end up resembling. Worries me about some of you. So when people worship idols, they become more unreal, more false, and more dead inside. The trouble with idolatry is it makes us actually less human the more we indulge. Gosh, you lot look glum. The news isn't all that bad. We don't have to do this. If we turn from idolatry to worship God, guess what it brings us? Life. Life. An abundant life is what God promises us. Who wants abundant life? Who's excited about living a blessed and abundant life? Who really wants to change the things in their world to reflect what God wants for them? One or two of you. let's, let's, Let's stand. George, can I get you up here? we really want the things of god or do we like idols i for one like idols it's a natural human failing we like idols there's no embarrassment in admitting the fact that we like the things of this world the things of this world make us comfortable who wants to be comfortable we all do much as though we say lord i want a challenging exciting life you're lying to yourself you don't every couple of days you might like a bit of excitement, perhaps once a week even, sometimes once a year for some people. A bit of ex- that's, a, that's all they need. Like Christmas, woo! Okay, calm down. <laughs> but we need to accept the fact that a life in Christ is not a life of comfort. It's a life of fighting a battle. And the great thing about that is that you know, it, it's like having one being on one of those quiz shows and having the answers in front of you so you press the button you, yep the answer it's like everybody's looking how does this guy do this he knows all the answers because you're cheating you see God loves cheating in a celestial sense not an exam sense <laughs> because he wants his children to have all the advantages he gives us the answers in advance when we fight a battle he says by the way I know you're fighting this battle but you win keep fighting he doesn't say I'm going to take the battle away from you so that you don't have to fight it he says keep fighting I know the outcome, you win but we've got to keep fighting idolatry is easy because your idol isn't going to tell you how to behave your idol isn't going to challenge you it isn't going to help you either So we need to get excited about living a life with God. I want you to practice that right. We're gonna get excited. You right? Who's excited about living a life with God? Yeah, okay. Some of you are a little excited. Come on, who's excited about casting off chains, about living a life of health, happiness, wealth? Living a life where the battles that we win are won in advance. I thank you, God, right now that you don't make our life easy, but you make our life victorious. I thank you, God, that the battles we fight are battles won. I thank you, God, that the roadblocks in our way are just challenges to make us better. I thank you, God, that every, every challenge we meet is a victory waiting to happen. I thank you, Lord, that every person that we interact with is somebody bound for heaven if we're prepared to fight that battle for them and with them. In Jesus' name. Can I quickly get you to sit before I finish this morning? I want to ask you to be called a son or a daughter of Almighty God is to be a part of His family. Now if you want to be a part of my family it's probably a bit too late. But you see To be a part of God's family, you don't actually have to be born into it. In fact, you can't be born into God's family. It's an invitation only event. It's really exclusive because God actually invites everyone. doesn't sound very exclusive, does it? But he issues the invitation to join his family to every single person. What's exclusive about it is that it's up to you to accept the invitation. And God makes it really simple. He says, you have to know that I am your Lord in your heart and be prepared to state with your mouth that that is the case. So can I get everybody just to close their eyes? And if you're here and you have never Accepted that invitation of God to become a part of his family and you have never said a prayer where you say Lord I thank you that you accept me into your family I turn away from my old life and I start a new life today as a member of the family of God if you've never prayed a prayer like that then I want to give you an opportunity this morning to pray that prayer and accept God into your heart to become one of his family while every eye is closed, no one's looking around. If that's you this morning, I want you to pop your hand up and I'll acknowledge that and we can pray that prayer together to invite you into the kingdom of God. Is there anyone at all who wants to make that decision this morning? You may have made that decision some time ago, but if you're honest, you have to admit that you haven't been living it. God reissues the invitation even if you've accepted it before. If you want to re-accept that invitation this morning you can put your hand up because God is the God of not just the second chance but any chance that you give him anyone at all this morning.